everyone. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. We hope that you find encouragement today as you listen. Good morning, church. I just love the lyrics of that song. Uh, and I'm just going to, because they go by so quickly, we just do one verse at a time. So we are his portion, that last song that we sang, and he is our prize, drawn to redemption by the grace in his eyes. If grace is an ocean, I like that, we're all sinking. That's how big and how deep his grace is. So heaven meets earth like an unforeseen kiss. Whoa, where'd that come from? I am surprised. And my heart turns violently inside my chest. I don't have time to maintain these regrets when I think about the way that he, the way you love me, but the way he loves me more importantly. Thanks, honey, for that great illustration. So I got your attention. Um, I don't know. uh, I was trying to imagine what an unforeseen kiss, you know, would be, but there's such a thing, and it really takes you by surprise. It just sneaks up on you, And, and that's what happens when heaven meets earth, and we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning, and I have two word pictures. In fact, I'm not even giving you any points. Just a little bit of feedback. I'm not giving you any points. I'm giving you two word pictures, all right, and uh, I've got to finish my one word picture here. The first is a ladder. We're talking about ladders this morning, and we're talking about fine wine, all right, so we'll put that right there, all right. Wait for it, okay, because I'm the last person to tell you what fine wine is, all right, but, uh, but you'll see where we're going, and uh, we've really been enjoying this, uh, this journey through uh, the Gospel of John, and we're still in chapter one. In our connect groups, we were hanging out in chapter three, but uh, I have more time, and the connect groups have about 10 weeks in this semester, and I have more time, and these are really, it reminds me of that one runway that I, I, I clocked, actually, I, I marked it, uh, the mileage, uh, just uh, south uh, uh, east of uh, Fairbanks and, and KJNP, North Pole, Alaska, okay? Um, I think it's two and a half miles long, and they, they can actually fly a shuttle in there, and you just drive, and you drive, but we are still driving alongside this runway, and I kind of feel like where I'm at in this message is, it's a really long runway, and, uh, and we've got a big, a big, plane that we're trying to launch here, a big shuttle, and so uh, be patient with me because you're going to really enjoy, I believe, what the Lord wants to speak to your heart this morning. Let's pray. Father, I pray your blessing upon all that we say and every scripture that we read. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you can take these ancient verses that are inspired and breathed by you and you can cause them to come alive and even help us to make application in our lives and in our day-to-day journey with you. Uh, We pray again, Lord, uh, that you'd bless our time together. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, So just by way of uh, refresher, last week we were talking about John the Baptist and we are talking about Andrew and and presumably John, the author of the Gospel of John, but he doesn't mention his name, who are followers of John the Baptist. They are his disciples. And and one day uh, Jesus comes on the scene and, and John the Baptist says this, and this is recorded in the Gospel, John, two different people, okay? I know you're all confused if, if you didn't grow up in Sunday school, all right? But there's two Johns working here. One's the Baptist, one's the disciple who's writing this Gospel. And Jesus come on, comes on the scene and he says, 
Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, to us, that's kind of a nice little phrase. It might make a good song or a poem. To the, to the audience there, John the Baptist started losing his disciples. In fact, Andrew, and presumably again, the gospel writer John, they left and started following Jesus and, uh, because of what was said. And we unpacked that a little bit last week, and you can listen to it on the podcast if you'd like to from last week. But Andrew went and found his brother Simon and uh, brought him to Jesus, and Jesus changed his name to Peter. And, uh, and I would just say this, when you meet Jesus, you end up bringing a brother to meet him as well, and sometimes you find a friend, and you invite a friend, and that's just, and then I even took a moment last week and says, hey, get a little card here, because we're encountering Jesus here at Ridgeway Church all, uh, all month long, all season long, every, every Sunday, actually, because he's faithful to be with us here. But I just thought that was so interesting, and look at what Look at what we see here in verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for the Galilee. So he's down not far from Jerusalem, possibly, where John the Baptism was baptizing next to Jericho. You go to the Holy Land today, you can go down and see the ancient city of Jericho. And he was, by the, he was there by the Jordan, probably uh, encountering John and his disciples. And now he's heading back kind of north and west towards the Galilee, several miles. And something's happening. In fact, here's, I always like to give the map, okay? And what's unique about John, see kind of that... Uh, the beige area in the down left corner there, kind of the flesh-colored, that's Judea, and that's where we find the Gospel of John. Jesus is hanging out a lot in Judea, whereas the other three Gospels, he, you don't see as much ministry there. Now he's going up to the blue area, uh, and even further north to that, uh, was that yellow? Uh, up there to the, the lake, uh, uh, well, it's Sea of Galilee is what, what we most commonly call it, okay? So look at the scripture here. It says, so that next day, finding Philip, he said to him, follow me, and Philip, like uh, Andrew and Peter was from the town of Bethsaida. Now, pause. I've had hundreds of people call Bethesda, which we no longer are, and this is one of the reasons, Bethsaida. And it's like, no, no, we're Bethesda, which Bethany's going to talk about next week. One place it shows up in, the, in all the Bible, and that is in the Gospel of John. And, uh, but Bethsaida is a town on the Galilee where fishermen hung out. And uh, so here it is. Bethsaida, and this is, this is Andrew Peter was from the town of Bethsaida, and, and Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And then Nathanael has this famous phrase, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Reminds me of my brother-in-law, every time I start talking about Green Bay and the Packers, and he says, Green Bay, can anything Good come from there. Well, he's a Vikings fan, of course. For him, nothing good. So I don't know if uh, Nathaniel's really serious about how bad Nazareth might be. There's been some speculation, but it might be just kind of tongue-in-cheek like my brother-in-law is always doing to me, okay? But we'll never know until we get to heaven or until heaven comes to us, all right? So uh, I think this is interesting because uh, Jesus finds Philip, we see in these scriptures, and Philip finds Nathaniel to share the, the great news. Uh, Philip says, we have found the one that Moses and the prophets wrote about. We looked at that last week a little bit where uh, the, uh, these prophets and Moses are, are predicting the coming Messiah, this God King, this deliverer. And then Nathaniel says, again, can anything good come? Uh, and, then, and then that last phrase, come and see. And again, I, just, I, I want you to see or something. I want you to pray about something because when we meet Jesus, we bring a brother. When we meet Jesus... We bring a friend. And this seems to be a common thread that you're going to see as you read through and as you've read through the Gospel of John. When you encounter life change, 
you bring somebody to that life change. When you encounter transformation, you yank your untransformed loved one and you drag them to transformation. When you experience healing, you bring the broken to the healer, okay? So that's what we're seeing here. And let me tell you something. Jesus is the same today as he was in the town of Bethsaida, around the Galilee, or in Judea. And it's in that that we put our faith in, and he's the one that's changing our lives. And so we go on, verses 47 and 49. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. How do you know me? That's kind of a bold statement, isn't it? <laughs> Nathaniel, how do you know me? After that very fine compliment. Uh, and Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, which means teacher, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. What's a, a messianic term. Israel was looking for a king sent from God in the line of David, from the family of the house of David, and they were looking for this, uh, we talked about last week, they're probably looking for a hammer to come in and bring deliverance to their, uh, their centuries of oppression. And, uh, and this is what Nathaniel says when he encounters the Lord. Jesus, here's what happened. Jesus read Nathaniel's mail. That's a phrase that I've used in the past and heard used, and I hope it's being used right, but I was thinking of... Um, I think it was Karnak, uh, if, you're, if you're old enough to remember Johnny Carson, he'd come out in a headpiece, and he's from the East, and he was like a, a seer and a soothsayer, and they'd hand him an envelope. He'd ask a question, he'd open the envelope, he'd pull out a piece of paper, and what the question was inside would be the answer, miraculous. Of course, it was funny stuff. Some of it, some of it was not so funny, but um, this is what Jesus did this day. What Jesus did for Nathaniel is he gave what we've come to understand in the New Testament as a, a word of knowledge. Okay, if you were to look today at Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth, he spends almost a good portion of a chapter discussing and unpacking what the gifts of the Spirit are about. You can read this. Uh, we've, we've broken the, I, I get tickled at this, you know, we have nine gifts of the Spirit, you know, in some of our denominations and you know, if we come out of like a, a, a spirit-filled background, we've just determined this is what we need. I think the Holy Spirit's bigger than those nine. In fact, there's other gifts that we see, hospitality and others throughout the Testament, but New Testament. But there's some very powerful gifts that Paul is citing that this, this church at Corinth was gifted in. And one of them, were, one of them was the, the word of knowledge. Now, it's not prophetic. Jesus wasn't saying to Nathaniel, someday you're going to be under a tree in the shade. He said, I saw you under a tree. So he wasn't there to see Nathaniel parked under a tree doing whatever he was doing, but he had this knowledge, this supernatural knowledge, because he's God, and when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, sometimes the Holy Spirit gives us that same knowledge where we'll have things, and we'll say, I think this, you know, <laughs> sometimes you, you can be bold about it, but usually it's probably a humble thing, saying, you know, I feel like the Lord laid this on my heart, and you, sometimes it's the same thing. I've seen it, I've experienced it. In fact, one time in my life, uh, it, was, it was very, very, uh, very pronounced. Um, uh, I, was, uh, I was a young man, 25 years old, I believe. Yeah. And I, my job was changing from assistant director to director of this department. And my workload was going to increase um, exponentially. I was going to be responsible to take teams of over 200, between 180 and 200 students down to New Orleans to to minister on the streets during Mardi Gras. Now, Mardi Gras is like, it's, you know, it gets, it's like the armpit of the nation 
during Mardi Gras. It really gets crazy down there. People are partying and they're out of control, but there's a lot of broken people. And we would go down, we'd join with other ministries. And part of my job description uh, when I was taking on this, uh, this role as director was to lead those teams. And I ended up leading five of those teams uh, over the next four or five years, I guess. Um, and I was pretty overwhelmed. I was also supposed to uh, direct these live productions where we would uh, we'd do a worship album and you know, we'd distribute maybe 20, 30,000 of them a year, mostly giving them away as we do outreaches around the world. And, and this stuff was all above my pay grade, at least I could see. So I was really overwhelmed. And I was, I was at a church in Southern California visiting my friend and, uh, and they invited me up and they, they prayed for me. And they just began to kind of speak some words. And one individual had a word for me, and she basically opened the envelope without ever seeing it and read my life where it was at at that point. She gave me a word of knowledge that just, just it kind of broke me. It humbled me. It overwhelmed me. It was like, it, what it was is she had no clue where I was going in the next couple of months and what it was going to involve, but she basically gave these bullet points of where I was going to be and how God was going to use me in this capacity in my life. I mean, it wasn't word for word, but just like this general view. And when it was over, I was going, wow, God knows my address. Not just, he knows my zip code, my address. He knows where I'm living, and it made me feel so good. It made me feel so confident. I walked away from that moment so strengthened and encouraged, I felt loved by God because I had encountered God. It's like heaven met my earth and it was unforeseen encounter. And I walked away, you know, uh, feeling loved and strengthened. This is probably what Nathaniel experienced that day. Uh, it, the scripture doesn't unpack it totally, but for him to turn around and have this revelation... You are the son of God. You are the promised king, you know, the king of Israel. Something happened probably similar to what happened to me that day in 1985 at Eagle's Nest Church in an evening. I think it was a Tuesday evening. And it's like heaven opened up. It came and God just kind of came alongside me and he just said, I've got this. You're going to survive these days ahead. Nathaniel's world was rocked, all right? My world was rocked. And I want to continue to look at this because, you see, uh, Nathaniel is moved by the supernatural insight, uh, and he proclaimed God. But Jesus has a more profound response at this point. It's utterly amazing. He says this. He says, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. That's pretty heavy stuff. It, it rocked his world. But you'll see greater things than that. He added, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Um, okay, let's be honest. Uh, some of you are tracking with that, that statement right there, but uh, some of you might be thinking, what was Jesus saying here? Uh, where, where did that phrase come from? Heaven opening, angels ascending and descending. And I want you to know something. The first audience, uh, Jewish followers, those who were raised in synagogue, that once he said that, they would have tracked right away. Now, you have to understand, 
the church began to grow in the Gentile world. It moved out of Jerusalem and into the world. And so uh, the Old Testament was included in the 27 books of the New Testament at some point. But I'm sure a lot of the people that Paul and Peter and as the gospel began to go into Asia and, uh, and into Europe, that uh, they didn't maybe have a clue. They would have needed some Old Testament 101. Well, here's Old Testament 101. This passage is talking about Jacob, whose grandpa was Abraham, whose dad was Isaac, and Jacob had a brother named Esau, who was a twin, and, and, and Jacob had a nasty reputation as being a grabber. Whether he was grabbing onto his brother's heel at birth or grabbing things that didn't belong to him, like a birthright that was his brother's, or a blessing from his father or his father-in-law's animals, you know, livestock. He was always getting in trouble because he was kind of a, um, he was kind of a shady character. But here's the good news. God really loved Jacob, and he had a plan for Jacob's life. A whole lot like he has a plan for our shady lives, right? Thankfully, most of us have encountered the Son, you know, capital Son, Jesus, the Son of God. And so a lot of that shade is being dispensed of. It's being, we're being cleared out a little bit. But we all know from whence we've come. We don't have to go back too far to find a lot of shade in our lives where we're grabbing and we're taking and we're lying and we're broken and we're needing help. But that's the beauty that God so loved this man. We talked about that this, this, this last week. If you got that far in your study, for God so loved the world that he gave Jesus. And here's, here's this story that Jesus is alluding to because uh, in Jacob's life, he is traveling this one, at this one moment from here to there, and it says he laid down, put a rock under his head, fell asleep, and had this amazing dream. And here's what he said. I dream, and I, he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on earth here, I brought it in here this morning. This is Jacob's ladder. And the top of it, re- oh, maybe not. It reached to the heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. The ladder uh, is an amazing dream. Uh, the ladder goes all the way to the heaven, linking heaven and earth. How do you know? Because angels are coming out of the opening and moving up and down the ladder. The, the New International Version Bible calls it stairway to heaven. Now you know what version Led Zeppelin reads, okay? <laughs> he promised to multiply his family. God did. The Lord showed up there as probably a pre-incarnate uh, form of Jesus and, and used Uh, them to bless the nations. I'm going to multiply you, and through you, the nations are going to be blessed. That's that's that whole Abrahamic covenant being, you know, passed down to to, uh, Jacob. Jacob's name would be changed uh, to, to Israel. But when he awoke, he said, surely the Lord is in this place. Duh. Do you think? I mean, it's like, man, you just had a really far out dream. And, And he said, this is the house of God. This place where this ladder was going up, I'm sure he didn't move from it. In fact, he took his pillow, which was a rock, and he stuck it on the ground, and he anointed it with oil, and he said, this place is sacred. Why? Because he says, this is the gate of heaven. I saw heaven open, and the heaven came to earth and met in this place. And man, and, and, and for, for generations, even centuries, Bethel 
And this is what it's called here. You can see the morning Jacob took the stone, poured on top of it this oil, and he called that place Bethel, which means house of God. We were called Bethesda at one time, house of grace or mercy, um, house of God because, I mean, angels were coming up and down. And the Lord stood there and gave him a promise. This is big stuff. God was with Jacob in that place, God's house. Bethel would become, again, the center of worship for Israel for years to come. And Jacob's dream became uh, literally a belief in Israel. When you worship God in his house, he is present and his angels are present. So when the tabernacle moved through the wilderness, it was just believed and it was true. God would show up in that meeting place, in that sacred holy of holies. And when they built the temple in Jerusalem, God would come and he would show up and he would visit Israel for years. Not always, sometimes he boycotted it. And, uh, and this is the picture that we see here. This sacred place, this sacred connection, this, this opening and connecting that, that God's space with our, our human space and our earthly space. Uh, sacred temple. Uh, that, that, again, the worship and the link of heaven and earth. I already said that. Okay, so here, uh, don't you love field trips? I'm gonna take you to Bethel this morning. And I have some pictures. Don't you just love it? I, I love teachers that could do this. Here we go. Here's Bethel. Uh, it's Bethel Church in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. This is, um, in fact, uh, that's my wife. Uh, she's the one that was kissing on me earlier. She does that all the time. Um, and, and that's me. Okay, and so this is Bethel. And it's, 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 it's kind of it's important to me because I was born in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, and this is the first church that I ever attended. I probably was dedicated there. Um, my mom went to work when I was like four, three or four years old, and so my dad would take me to that church because we didn't have a child care center. Or, uh, I had an Aunt Jeanette who took me one time and slammed my door, my thumb in the door, and I broke my thumb so my mom wouldn't let her go with her anymore. No, that's not true, but that did happen. Uh, she was a great aunt. She's with the Lord now. But for some reason, Dad and I would hang out at church. He would be in his office towards the back of this stone building. They built another building to the right. And I would sleep on the platform. And I just, my earliest memories are of that. Uh, it was pretty boring. But uh, I think the Lord might have captured my heart there, and I didn't know it at the time. Because here I am, 55 years later, 56 years later, still on platforms and uh, causing you to sleep. Okay, so, um, so this is Bethel. House of God. And back then when you built a church, my, my father and mother were here helping my grandfather plant this church uh, in the early 50s. And then they went down there in 1956 and planted that church. And there's a family here with us this morning. Uh, Sylvie, where are you? There you are. And they walked in and surprised me. She was there when the church was built because the Baltzes, she's a Baltz, no longer a Baltz, but her maiden name. And her parents uh, came alongside my parents. It was like the Baltzes and the... Um, uh, the missionary couple from Mexico, the McSorleys. And, and there's about three couples is all there was. You know, nowadays, when you start a church, you take about 100 people with you and a whole lot of money. My, my, my mom and dad took, uh, I think, $5,000 from a sale, a quick sale they did on a house they built in Madison and uh, went down there, and the Lord brought some families into the, and the Baltz family. Was, and it was really great. How many, how many kids in your family? So, so there's like, you know, my parents hadn't probably caught up to the Baltzes yet, but they were close. So you have you know, like five, four kids, five kids, 
and seven or eight kids, and that's just about, that's just about a church right there. And the McSorleys had about that many, didn't they? There you go. So see, see this is great. So now you understand this really happened. There really is a Bethel. And, uh, and I, just, I, I put this in there this morning because here's what's interesting. I, just, I feel like I'm supposed to pay uh, tribute and honor my mom and dad for just a second, so bear with me. You know, dad has Alzheimer's. And uh, when he comes here, uh, he, he's a happy journeyman down that, that road. And he'll laugh with you and he'll talk with you. And, you'll, and, and you think that he's remembering anything you're saying. He's probably not. But he remembers the most important thing. We have him pray at all of our meals and all of our family gatherings. Kind of like Glenn Campbell never forgot how to play his guitar. My dad never forgets how to pray. Uh, but this, this weekend, Bethel is celebrating their 60th on Friday and Saturday and Sunday today. And there's meals following the service. <clears throat> Don't tell them. The only problem is they're three years off. Their 60th was three years ago. Um, but they're not going to listen to this. And good on them that they're just celebrating, right? They didn't know that 120, 30 miles, you know, kind of to the east was a historian, and I could have told them everything they needed to know. But I'll tell them later after the celebration is over, right? Good people, wonderful church, still serving their community and uh, next generation people there. But I just thought that was kind of cool. But I just want to say something. Uh, the sacrifice that my mom and dad did you don't know about because you just maybe know our church through my, my wife and I, our children, or those who've been here for a while. But my parents went as 23 or 24-year-olds down there and planted a church that's still going 63 years later. It sits up on a hill. Uh, the testimonies of God's faithfulness where heaven opened up. <laughs> maybe didn't see the angels, but there were angels. And Jesus showed up on their behalf. Uh, I'm going to write them down before mom passes because there were so many God sightings in the early days, and that's why a church isn't a property and it's not a building. But if we could count the, the number of lives that have been touched through that location in that city, you know, because uh, these, these are just outposts. These buildings could be blown away, and we'd still meet somewhere, and God's favor would be upon his church no matter what place and space it's in. But um, anyway, I just want to pause and say... Uh, um, Congratulations to my folks who uh, took that step of faith and sacrificed quite a bit to go down and to establish a church in that town. And yet they're like 23, 24, 25 years old. That's a large Lutheran community, all right? So if you're Lutheran, you're, you're not, you have to go through about, you know, 20 years of seminary. Not quite, but a lot of seminary. And, you know, so you're probably starting and pastoring your first parish at about 35. And my mom and dad are going door to door, and they look like young 24-year-olds, okay? We're talking really young. And, uh, and they're knocking on doors and saying, hey, would you like to come to our church? And the folks in Eau Claire would look and say, how old are you? You're not old enough to be a pastor. You don't look like our Lutheran, uh, our Lutheran ministers. So anyway, it was, there was some tough sledding, but God's faithfulness was in it. And, uh, and, uh, and, and that's Bethel, the house of, the house of God. And but what's Jesus up to when he's promising to do greater things, okay? I like this. You're going to see heaven open, the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus fulfills the promises concerning the temple here, okay? He, he even goes further to establish a new way. You know, the temple where God would meet, where God will be with his people. He's establishing something radically new. In fact, in John uh, 1 verse 14, if you go back a few verses from where we're at this morning, remember in the prologue where John writes, and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That word dwelling is the, 
is, is kind of representing the presence of, the God, of God. That dwelling is the tabernacle in the Old Testament, like I said, and the temple in the Old Testament when they got into Jerusalem and built that, where God's presence was promised. So Jesus saying, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree, and you'll see even greater things than that. Jesus is saying, hey, get ready. Get ready, Nathaniel. He wasn't just speaking to Nathaniel. He was speaking probably to Philip and Nathaniel, and at that point, you had... Uh, Peter, and you had Andrew and John, and James was probably close by because whenever there was James, there was John, and there was Peter and Andrew. Those are the, the fearsome foursome. And uh, so they're moving and traveling, and so Jesus is making that statement to, to, to all of his disciples that you're going to see greater things. And get ready, gentlemen, because it's going to be crazy, uh, and, and, and you have not seen anything yet. And that Old Testament ladder that Jacob dreamed was an arrow pointing to the genuine article. Okay, you go back, and that's the beauty of the Old Testament for us. We look back, and we realize that everything that we read in the Old Testament, you want to keep from getting your toes snagged in some of those complicated verses. Just remember, it's a roadmap. It's an arrow. It's a travel sign directing you to Jesus Christ, the word that became flesh, and the temple that made physical dwelling and dwelt among us and is still dwelling among us through his Holy Spirit. The Old Testament ladder, that's what that was. And, and Jesus is now giving us another ladder. And Jesus is that word made flesh, that personification of the temple. And Jesus said, follow me and you'll see heaven meet earth. And you'll see heaven open and God's space visit our place. And John's gospel is like a, like a treasure hunt with clues and signs pointing to powerful, the most powerful conclusion that ever rocked this world the cross of Calvary. And it didn't look pretty, but what took place on the cross was the greatest sign of all time. It was God's love and mercy being poured out for the broken world uh, then and for all time. That was the greatest sign of all. But Jesus is gonna be giving in this gospel these little signs and these little, these little clues pointing to this powerful conclusion. Seven signs or miracles. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Uh, uh, all are pointing towards greater things that he had told uh, Nathaniel that, and, and what Nathaniel and those guys had experienced. Okay, so these are moments when heaven meets earth like an unforeseen kiss. I requested that song. It didn't just happen this morning. I love that lyric. I love that line. And when the, tra it's when the transforming power of God and his love bursts into our world and into our present world. And that brings us to fine wine. And I'm telling you something, I have no clue what's fine and what's not fine. This is a Merlot, and it was built in Washington State. There's nothing in it. But um, I won't tell you where I got it. I may have borrowed it from a, a parish, a Catholic parish. You don't know. You will never know. I can tell you I didn't drink it. I'm just, I'm one of those guys... I, don't tell anybody, but they may run me out of Wisconsin. I don't drink any alcohol. And I have a lot of friends that do, but I've never acquired a taste for it. And I'm wondering, what am I doing in Wisconsin? That's like our, that's like our, I mean, that's like water, right? A bunch of Germans and all these beer companies and stuff. And I'm, I'm, I'm convinced there might be that Kugel's summer shanty with lemonade in it that I might be able to drink someday. But we'll pray for me, okay, if you think, if you, if, if, if you think I've, 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 I need to arrive somewhere. But anyway, uh, I, so I can't tell you if it's fine or not, but it's pretty important in this message because uh, what's happening here is John 
in, his, in, his, in the second chapter, he records the first of Jesus' many miracles that we see in the gospel, and the first of uh, at least seven that we see, there's an eighth that happens after the resurrection, but these seven signs or miracles pointing to Jesus and, uh, and uh, all culminating at the cross. And, uh, and you've probably heard this story before. If I were to say water into wine, you'd say, oh yeah, been there, done that. Well, here it is, okay? On the third day, a wedding took place at Canaan in Galilee. And Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said, they have no more wine. This was likely a, a large gathering. Uh, you know, maybe much of the town was there. We know that Jesus and his, and his mother and disciples, uh, we only know that Nathaniel was from Cana, so we don't know exactly how all this ties in, but it was probably a very large gathering. Can you imagine the absolute embarrassment? You probably can't because we have no relationship or no, no way to relate to this. It was like a social dis uh, disgrace or disaster for the family to, uh, to run out of wine, okay, or the married couple, okay? So Jesus, and this would last a whole week, by the way. Uh, a, a Jewish wedding wasn't just a one-night event at an event center. It was all week long, and so they were out of wine, and Jesus at first is reluctant, and then Mary says, do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you is what he says, she says to those surrounding Jesus, probably some disciples and onlookers. And so there were six large water containers, each 20 to 30 gallons, and they were used for ceremonial cleansing. Probably, you know, used, they, they didn't do baptism, but they did some ritual things for cleansing and, and, and probably preparation for worship. And fill them with water, he says. Now draw some out and take it to the, uh, to the master of the banquet. And when the master tasted it, he says, wow, this is good stuff. And he took it to the bridegroom, and he said, uh, everyone brings out the choice wine uh, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have arrived. Why did you save the best for last? So, I mean, this was really good stuff. Now, you, I have no idea what it tasted like because, again, I'm not the guy to ask, but I guess it was good, all right? And Jesus had compassion for the family, and I think this is important to see because um, you're going to find as we go through the gospel and as you've maybe read it already and as you're reading it that Jesus gets moved by, with compassion and then he'll act, and sometimes it's in extraordinary ways, and this is an extraordinary occurrence, taking and filling up six water, uh, you know, 30-gallon jugs, and filling it up with water, and, and from it, it supernaturally changed to uh, the best wine available, and, uh, and Jesus had compassion on the family, you can imagine. He was moved maybe by their um, awkwardness. We're in trouble. We're going to be the laughing stock of the community, and Jesus is moved, I believe, and he heaven opens up, that place is changed by the presence of the Lord who is the, the personification of God's presence, right? The word became flesh and all present experience that unforeseen kiss from heaven. So, invite the worship team to come up. Our lives, when we encounter Jesus, are like water turned to wine, all right? All right, you say, well, Pastor Brian, I don't drink. Well, I don't either has nothing to do with uh, the quality. It has to do with, well, here's what I thought was pretty interesting. I just looked up on the, the cultural meaning of wine, and here's what I came across. When in, uh, wine in literature often implies happiness and friendship is also a symbol of transformation as grape, grapes undergo transformation when they are fermented. 
Because of its importance in the Near East, wine may also symbolize sustenance and life. I thought, that's what Jesus did for me. That's probably what Jesus is doing for you, he's doing for us, is he's transforming us. Uh, he's giving us a quality of life. He's, uh, he's giving us joy. He's creating friendship and, friend and relationship and family. And, uh, and I think it's very, it's very important when we understand that uh, there's, a, well, there's a whole lot of meaning to this moment that we don't have time to maybe dig deeper into. But this, just this first miracle that Jesus, recorded of Jesus' uh, ministry, is just, it's laden with, with pictures and word pictures and truths. This is what Jesus is doing for us today. He brings us fullness of life. And I'll just, I'll tell you something. It all begins when we do whatever he tells us to do. Let's stand together. That's, that's the key. That's the key to this message, I think, that we take with us. I mean, the disciples, when he said, follow me, they followed him. And, and they listened to him. And they were going to, after this took place, it said that it, Jesus was glorified in the moment of heaven opening up. And they probably didn't see the angels, but I'm sure angels came pouring out in that moment because it was a God space coming to the earth place. And, and, uh, and the disciples walked away from that moment, it says, and they believed. So may, maybe it's possible to follow and not believe. I don't know. I, you know, I don't want to split hairs, but it's probably true because that was their case and their, the chronology of their, of their journey. But when they encountered the ladder, when they encountered, and we're going to see these ladders throughout the book of John, these signs and these miracles where heaven opens up, pours down into a place in a space there in that, that sacred land, that ancient land. And I want you to hear something today. Heaven is still opening up today on our behalf. Do you hear that? Heaven is still opening up today. It's not something that happened back there, you know, in the first century only. We've seen it historically. Many of our lives have been touched by encounters. Just that one I told you. I can tell you other times where, where it's like God showed up in my room, in my place, in my space. It's like heaven split, you know? I didn't see angels, but I felt the presence of God and I walked away from there changed. I walked away from there believing in a different way, in a more confident way, my relationship with Jesus, my commitment to follow him. Now, I'm not saying that you have to have that, but I'm saying don't doubt it. Hunger for God to, uh, uh, to reveal himself in this season. Maybe, maybe this is just an opportunity in the coming weeks as we go through the Gospel of John where the Lord just wants to come face to face with you. And he wants to start to transform your grape into a, a beautiful, life-filled glass of wine. Joyful. Transformation. That's what that says. So, Lord, I just close this moment right now and I say thank you for the beauty of your word, the presence of your spirit in our lives, and just this word picture today that, Lord, you're still opening heaven all around us. 
God, I pray that even as I just drop that seed in the hearts of this congregation of my brothers and sisters today, that, that there would be moments, maybe it's here in September, maybe it's in October, maybe it's in November, that, that there's a, a time that just we have these encounters. Uh, and, and we walk away from that moment. Maybe it's a dream. Maybe it's um, a, a song that just hits at a certain time and the lyrics just rock our world. Maybe it's a healing, a physical healing. Maybe it's an emotional healing. Uh, Lord, we need heaven to come to earth. Jesus, we thank you that you are the personification of the presence of the living God and you filled us with the presence of the living God, which is your spirit. And so we say, Lord, bring it on in our lives. And we say less of us and more of you, Lord, as you transform us into something beautiful. Pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. For more information about our church, check out our website at www.ridway.church.